1: The only difference between this brother and sister is, is 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 one of them is white and one of them is black, and the black one goes to detention, and the white one goes to class. She said, "As messed up as that is, that your sister gets to go to class." She told me this, and it pissed me off, and I didn't understand it for years because I took it kind of personal. She said, the, "Your sister gets to go to class because your sister is white. You." can't be late because you're black. You have to develop some kind of strategy to never be late and never give a person a reason to punish you for that. You can't be late, but your sister can. And I want you to accept that. I can't change the school system, but I can try to help change you.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I'm so, so happy to be here today and to introduce my guest, Tommy Davidson. And so without any further ado, here goes... Tommy Davidson's exceptional range from stand-up comedy and acting to versatile musical accomplishments have earned Davidson a reputation as a legendary performer. Tommy Davidson was born in Mississippi in 1963 and was abandoned in the trash of a drug house at the age of two. A woman found Tommy and adopted him into her all-white family and he lived his toddler years in Colorado. At the age of five, as his mom found that government job, Davidson's family moved to Washington, D.C. at the height of the Martin Luther King assassination riots and due to the extreme racial tensions, Davidson and his white siblings were harassed by neighbors of both races. He worked in kitchens during high school and was an assistant chef at a Ramada Inn when a friend convinced him to try stand-up. The friend got the boss of a strip club to let Davidson perform at the age of 19. Despite having no prepared material, he made the audience laugh and wouldn't stop for the next three decades spotted by major concert promoters tommy was first booked as the opening act for patty labelle kenny g and luther vandros it wasn't long before he came to hollywood and was headlining the biggest rooms and met with robert townsend who gave him a starring role in the movie partners in crime which led him to keenan ivory wayans who subsequently cast davidson in the groundbreaking sketch show in living color davidson performed hilarious impressions of sammy davis jr michael jackson and many many others on the living color and somehow also found the time to tour the country 10 times do seven movies and three stand-up specials which included on strength of new york illin and philly and taken It to DC. Tommy's film debut was opposite Halle Berry in Strictly Business, and he's been featured in many projects, including Spike Lee's Bamboozled, Booty Call, Ace Ventura 2 When Nature Calls, and the 2011 award-winning documentary I Am Comic. This past summer, Davidson starred in Sharknado 4 and is currently featured in Dying Laughing, a documentary about comedians which just hit theaters this past February. As a voiceover artist in animation, Tommy starred in Will Smith's series Youngins, Disney's A Proud Family, and then the critically lauded comedy on Adult Swim, Black Dynamite, after he also co-starred in the original cult live-action feature film of the same name. Tommy currently serves as host of Vacation Creation, a CW show that gives struggling families the vacation of a lifetime. He recently launched his own brand of quintessential men's ties and suit accessories, is currently working on a new one-man show, has recently inked a book deal for his autobiography called Tommy Davidson Living in Color and performs next month at Madison Square Garden as part of the April Fool's Comedy Show. Alongside Don D C Curry, Arnez J, Michael Blackson, and Arsenio Hall on April first. Ladies and gentlemen, a man that I am so excited to have come here to the fabulous Industry Standard Studios. Please welcome Tommy Davidson. Quite swanky digs here too. Hey, what do you think of playing with kids? I like it. So I have so many things to ask you. The first thing I want to ask you is sometimes I think I'm going through tough times. Sometimes I I sit in my room in the fetal position and I think to myself, God, this thing in my personal life happened. How am I going to overcome that? I don't know anybody in my life who was found as a baby in the trash And then became one of the most successful, iconic performers in comedy or in any profession. Well, I just think to myself, you start your life in the trash. I think it's valid to talk about that because your biological mother suffered from addiction. Mm -hmm. Your biological father was in and out of whatever craziness he was going through and they say that the talent gene and the addict gene carry over lebron's son it's not a difficult assumption when you see him play that the talent came but you also know that there's certain people who grew up in homes of alcoholic parents Mm -hmm. where they carry the gene do you know in fact if you're mom or dad were talented in any way had any skill set that you have and do you believe that (laughs) they didn't have any of that and you never saw any of that in them and you just developed this from your family and what you were living with your mom that adopted you I think it came out of condition because when I actually met my mom
1: you know she told me the story about she was on heroin she had four kids she couldn't cope She dropped me off somewhere at a house. You know, she sings in the gospel or whatever, but she doesn't have what I have. I have something special, just like Whoopi called it uh, part of the Magnificent Seven. Only Jim Carrey, uh, Billy Crystal, Robin Williams, uh, Michael Keaton, and Tom Hanks have it, where they do a little bit of everything and they do it good. So... That was just a miracle. no. And my dad was 50, already had a family, an undertaker, all right? Uh, Not much to draw a comedy out of that. And
0: she was his woman on the side. Is your belief that talent is something you're just born with, or do you think it comes through the environment you're in, or do you feel you might be mistaken about your mom and dad, and they might have had some talents, but they never utilized them because they were not in that mm-hmm. profession. I think environment dictates uh,
1: because all white family, my mom that found me, happened to go to the house. She actually worked with my mother in the civil rights movement, and she left and came back and she was gone, but she asked about the children. She said she left with the children, but that left the youngest child at a house. And she went to the house, it was like kids doing drugs all over the place, so she left there immediately. She saw a pile of trash on the side of the house. There was a big tire on top of it, and she said something told me to look behind the tire. And she looked behind the tire, she saw my foot. She moved all the trash out of the way, I was almost dead. There was a t-shirt on me that said, I'm gonna be president in 2000, and then the rest was ripped, you know? They took me to the hospital, nursed me back to health. About four weeks later, I moved to Fort Collins, Colorado, the whitest place on earth. And I didn't know I was black until I moved to Washington, D.C. in 1968, when King got shot.
0: How did you realize that you were black then? The We went to a swimming pool, me and my
1: brother and sister. First of all, we rolled into uh, DC and there were tear gas everywhere, tanks, fires. Me and my sister are laying on the floor. This is where the comedy begin, begins. Because my sister looks like Cindy Brady. My brother looked like David Cassidy. We're laying on the ground. We're moving into inner city Washington, DC with a white mom. The next day we go to the swimming pool and all the black kids kick our ass. All the way home. Your ass too. My ass too. Because I was called a white cracker lover. Did you know what that meant? No. Here's the discovery of white and black and color and where the atom in my mind was split at five years old. Okay. So they beat her ass so bad I get home. They're calling them white crackers and they're calling me white cracker lover. Right? So, I, so I go to my mom and I go I don't understand what just happened because all those kids kick my ass and were calling me white cracker lover and I like graham crackers I don't even like white crackers <laughs> you see this is a kid so she said uh, when people who are our color don't like people who are your color Okay. That's what they call them. That's what they call them. And I was like, well, what color am I? She said, you're black. Now, you can't tell me that because I grew up in Laramie, Wyoming, Fort Collins, Colorado, on farms, in meadows, near mountains, mountain ranges, around animals. So I thought that I was a brown one Whatever we are, you know, I was a brown one. My sister and my brother were peach ones (laughs) because I learned my comedy from crayons, right? And so I would see a cat have kittens. The cat could be brown. It could have a speckled kitten, a gray one, a white one, an all black one. So I'm figuring I'm a brown one or you'd see a horse have a colt. The horse could be brown, have a white horse. So I'm thinking I'm a brown one. So that just that was it.
0: That shit blew me away. So when was the first time you heard somebody call you the N
1: word? So we moved out to the suburbs because that's the, that's going to be the solution, right? I got to get my kids out of here right it was worse grown men were chasing me home from school I barely was making it in the door people were shooting in our house my mom used to have us on the on the floor picking peas with the lights out you know I didn't know then she had us ducking you know and It's the first time I heard the word nigger And I heard it all the time And I heard people calling them nigger lovers All the time You know And it happened so much I finally came to my mom And I was like Mom who are these niggers (laughs) Because they seem to be pretty bad fucking people You know We need to stay away from them What's going on And she said that's when people our color when they don't like people your color call them and again my head just split in half like the whole world at five I'm like what is this world we living in so there's an antidote though here's here's the comedy so we moved to an integrated neighborhood okay a couple of days I was playing around on a railroad track I don't kids shouldn't do that And some white teenagers spotted me I know the drill I better run away right away it's nigga this nigga that we can't wait to catch you boy we gonna kick your ass and two big old black guys appeared from nowhere and I ran behind them and the white guys ran the other way and I've been black ever since <laughs>
0: True story. Was your mom the kind of person who told you that she loved you all the time? Very nurturing. Well, you know that old expression, no good mm-hmm. deed goes unpunished? Mm-hmm. Did you feel like she was punished unnecessarily throughout her life for making this decision? The family I came from didn't see
1: race. And where I grew up in um, Wyoming and Fort Collins was actually a different kind of white person now it's hard to tell black people they're a different kind of white people you know but I remember my grandfather telling me when I was about four he took me fishing and he told me you know because we watched cowboy and indie movies he told me Tommy there's a lot of people, a lot of cowboys that didn't kill Indians. Never did. Never wanted to. You know, that was the family. That was the family. My uh, mother was an activist. You know, she she worked with the Civil Rights Movement with her then husband. They were professors at Colorado State. That's how they ended up in Mississippi finding me. They were immunizing children, uh, doing voting drives that's what they were doing because Kennedy said they saw Kennedy on TV and Kennedy said if you look back on this part of history will you be able to say that you did something so they went down there and in her going back there in her travels that's when she discovered because my mom worked with her for voting drives and stuff my, my natural mom so when she didn't find her just visiting that's when she went to the house and that's when she found me so my family is uh you know, I've found more racism in Boston than I've found in Birmingham, Alabama, you know, but I 'd be the one to see it because I picked up racism before I could intellectually know what it was because I remember going into restaurants as I got older, twelve years old, I' go in a restaurant with my family. And, you know, I get the old, you know. We all look like I'm different. So and she educated me. She had me read Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee when I was eight. She had me read uh the Lena Horn story, her novel, when I was like ten. And she had me read Malcolm X when I was probably about twelve. She she said, "Not only are you going to read it, she's a pretty tough woman. You can." But when she gave me <laughs> when she gave me the Malcolm X book, the first thing she said to me was, "Before you read this, I want you to know that the white people aren't the devil." And I was like, "Mom, I know that, I know <laughs> that because my my grand my grandfather is is a cowboy from Oregon." in Wyoming, and my grandmother is this, you know, this beauty from Texas, you know? You look at old pictures of them. She looks like Marilyn Monroe.
0: Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, A -a one-of-a-kind, all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Were there people in your family that you could tell were racist towards you, but they just tried to hold it back, but that slipped out every once in a while? No. There was nobody in the family that looked down upon your mom for what she did?
1: No. Everybody actually was really excited. I actually was spoiled. I actually was the golden child. You know, my grandfather would have me for Thanksgiving, have us up in um, Oregon for Thanksgiving. My brother and sister had to do dishes, right? And I was like his guy. And we'd watch college football. And why doesn't Tommy have to do anything? And he go, Tommy's with me. <laughs> Tommy's with me. <laughs> and he always took a special interest in me. He always did. And what we do when, he, uh, when we'd watch college football, he was teaching me some stuff that I'd, I didn't really realize that I know now because of him. He would, meet me, he would make me read the, ba- the back of the jerseys of all the players. He grill me and he go, he go Polinsky, what's that? You know, Polish, you know, right? Nucci, what's that? What's that? You know, he taught me Italian, you know, Brown, American, could be black or white, Goldberg, Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> this is an understanding that I think came out of my own unique experience you know Um, and you and I don't blame black people for how they feel because their general consensus is we've caught hell from white people but not a lot of blacks know that there are so many variations and actually they don't have to because they're going hey I got a foot in my ass by people who look like that you know But I was in We go to folk festivals Like we were hippies We were hippies We were hippie kids my, my dad When they broke up Moved to a commune In Fort Collins They were together When you were adopted Right And then they broke up well, How old were you? I was uh, we, They broke up When I was five That's why we moved so he stayed in Colorado That was about 66, 67 And they were hippies That was 68 It was 68 He was a hippie He was a hippie She was a teacher They both were teachers And she had a job at uh, Chicano Youth School So I, I, I knew who Mexicans were way back Because I was like the golden boy They call me um, Tamasito Negrito (laughs) (laughs) You know And while she was working With all the kids They were the bad kids They were you know Getting in trouble She'd leave me there And they would babysit me And I was like a hero man They carried me around They bring me presents Blah 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 You know So You know She staked out Like most women did In the 70s You know Because you know Helen Redding was coming The women's movement Was coming You know, that only translates to me that the kids got to do all the fucking homework. I mean, all the housework, you know. Um, I remember how important Maude was and Mary Tyler Moore was because all of a sudden, all of these women, you know, they're going to have the job. They're going to take care of the family. They're going to do this stuff. So why she took us to Washington, D.C., the reason being, you know, to, to grab a government job and take care of her three kids, you know, and raise him in in some place uh, that had a lot of uh, valuable uh, principles around and a political atmosphere. But I didn't know this stuff back then. It wasn't until she passed away that I realized what she created in me. You know, Larry Davidson, which is my name.
0: Why did you change it? Uh, that was part of the whole adoption process. What was your original name on your birth certificate? My original name on the birth certificate
1: was Anthony Reed. Okay. But we had such a hard time finding mom. We actually, my mom actually had to had to go through hell and high water to sign papers and when, when the parent doesn't show up, she can take him with her. So she did it legally. And if they didn't, if there's a certain amount of time that that went by that they haven't heard from her, she can go for a legal adoption. and that that day came, obviously, and it was it was uh, uh, time to change the name on the birth certificate, that whole thing. And my mom, my my uh, biologicals mom, like most country black women, was two names you know Billy Joe or whatever it might be her name was Tommy Jean. so my mom said this is what I'm gonna do I'm gonna make your first name your real moms and I'll make your your name Davidson so and that relates to comedy because uh in 86, when I came out here, I put my name in the hat. At the comedy store. With Don Barris. Don Barris, who's <laughs> still there. And the other skinny guy who did uh, commercials. Uh, they're still there, amazingly. They're still there. They're the guys that said, uh, you're not what we're looking for. Mitzi would hate you for three, for three years straight. They're actually still there. They'd pull the name out of the hat, coming to the stage, Tommy Davidson. If I got on stage,
0: what do you mean if you got on stage? If they pull my name. Oh God! Yeah. Even they can even pull your name. You know that? Yeah. What time did you get there? They could there? pull your name and and. Uh, Ben Stiller will walk in, and you can hang it up. Back then, it might still be in effect today for open micers. You'd have to get there early in the morning and wait in line, so you got a number. And the first, I think, 30 or 40 people got a number in a hat, maybe 50, mm-hmm. and then they would draw them out of a hat, which mm-hmm. is sort of unfair, because if you waited there early in the morning, I guess you are you waited there to get be part of the 50 or so that got in the right. hat. And then they choose 20, I believe, right? Right. That was that. The Laugh Factory was you show up
1: on Monday night and hope they pull your name so you can do bit parts during the week. They give you like two minutes here, two minutes there. But you'd have to be there on Monday night. You get in a line. You pull your hat. That was it. I never understood the Ice House.
0: (laughs) The Ice House is actually the oldest comedy club in los angeles maybe the country it's in pasadena run by some wonderful people so now if i write into a town and i see my name on the
1: billboard it means a lot because you know when you first go on stage and you don't have a name uh, more credits help you more credits help you because it, it helps the audience go wow maybe this guy's really funny so you go he's playing colleges and he's playing colleges you know uh, all around the country you know he, he did a thing at such and such in college bringing to the stage thought that it helped four, three, three, five, eight, cinco,
0: six. six. Six degrees of separation Six degrees of separation I just want you to tell me The first thing that comes to mind When I mention these names Speed round Michael Jackson A miracle Jamie Foxx One hell of a talent
1: Kenny G Hardest worker I ever seen With my own two eyes Halle Berry Something like a phenomenon Tupac Shakur Genius before his time. Jennifer Lopez has created herself
0: through her hard work. Eddie Murphy, the second best. Jim Carrey, the natural. Spike Lee,
1: what's his name from The Lion King? Simba. (laughs) (laughs) Got along with everybody. Kuman Matata, come on. Martin Lawrence,
0: self made. Barack Obama. An enigma. Chris Rock. Funky Brilliant. Keenan Ivory Wayans.
1: The Professor Xavier of Comedy. (laughs) Minus the wheelchair.
0: Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Dave Chappelle. Aberration. Tommy Davidson, sober versus Tommy Davidson, not sober.
1: Unclear
0: for the unsober.
1: For the sober. I got this from Tom Cruise. Crystal. You remember that line in the movie? I don't remember the line. Yeah, there's a line in the movie when um somebody says it to him in the courtroom and um A few good men. He goes, Are you clear? After he does the whole there are men on these walls. You want us on that wall. You need us on that wall. Are you clear? And Tom went, Crystal. Unclear? Crystal. And I'm glad I have a chance to talk about it. Because I spent years working on recovery. And being here like this. There was a connection. And there's a connection with everyone who... You know, develops, let's say, um behaviors that are not good for them. You trace it back to something that affected them, which is the process that I've been taught, you know, in recovery. You go to the core issue, you know, the core issue. <sighs> the reason why I could talk so clearly, about what happened to me as a kid, is it because it's because it took the recovery process for me to understand my core issue. My core issue, there's two, but they're they're like they're like,, uh, they're like having Mike Tyson on one side. And freaking think of a mean ass white dude, Michael Madsen. Right. Okay. On the other side. Okay. The abandonment was traumatic. They had no idea how long I had been in the trash. When when they took me to the hospital, there was contusions in my skull. I had to stay there to get uh, uh, my my body back nutrients, you know, and and. They didn't know how long I was there You know they can get an idea Where I was At at the At the point Where my body was And stuff like that But That was trauma So PTSD There's PTSD is a part of that That part Okay Um Nurturing comes from family You know So With the trauma which is the first thing. They they they're pretty heavy kissing cousins, the two that 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 if I didn't understand and go through what I went through, I couldn't be here with you. Cuz when we talked, it was like we were new friends. It was like, you know, we're off, you know, we're like we're like we're like two cowboys meeting in the middle of the street, you know, years ago. So, and it enables stuff like that to happen if you can get Some understanding. So that was the one. When I said that that split the atom, that was the second one. Because your family is supposed to be, you know, that nurturing, you know. So I experienced trauma twice. I experienced trauma from the original family, and I experienced trauma from society. From society. You know, and with uh, Vietnam Bets, that PTSD comes from a situation where they're so far away with something they don't understand that they have a hard time putting back together. You know, so when I found out that I was different than the people that loved me, coupled with the trauma that I went through, which one of my therapists years ago pointed out, which was very, very key in me getting to where I am, said that the trauma that you experience, you you experienced it before consciousness. So that trauma exists on a whole deeper level. See? The second trauma comes from the way of the world. So, if I don't have them both in perspective, every time I see anything racist, it triggers a trauma. Because I was the kid that was in the middle of everyone. That, that, that safe haven that I had for a family, that nucleus that finally came around, ended up being a painful situation for me as a kid. Because m- my mother was it an embarrassment to me? I don't know that. All the black kids didn't think that I was really black because I had a white mom. And all the white kids definitely didn't think that I was as good as them because I was black. You know? So that's an that was an ongoing core issue for me. But the, the good that came out of it is my comedy because little did I know I'm a crossover act by uh, natural circumstances I'm neither urban neither white neither impressionist neither uh, storyteller I'm neither I'm I'm neither of those things I'm none of those things I became the comic, the, the, I, I became the exact comic that grew out of who I am. The exact comic that grew out of who I am. And, and coming from a technical standpoint when it comes to comedy and audiences and stuff like that, the good thing was I played white audiences, half white audiences, Hispanic audiences, all black audiences, musical audiences I'm able to take everybody I'm one of the few comics that can take a little bit from East Indians, a little bit from Spanish people, a little bit from gay people, a little bit from older white women, from younger white women, from brothers in the hood or educated brothers, Jews I can be 100% funny without being offensive but still being raw. I'm no Sinbad or I'm no Eddie Murphy. I'm no Chris Rock or Richard Pryor, but I encompass a little bit of everybody. So what I would never think that what happened to me with that was a good thing. Never thought that, you know? But Mitzi told me two things that were important in my career and her voice makes you want to kick her out a window. She said, "Tommy, you know, when 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 I finally became the new comic at uh, the the new uh Faces of Comedy and we'd hang out in La Jolla and my kids were toddlers and we'd have dinner with her. And she said, "I got to tell you something, Tommy. I know that you weren't liking me for the longest time and you couldn't get in the the main room for a long time. But it's one of the things that I've learned is that I I always make the best weight. I always make the best weight. And then when I went through what I went through, you know, years ago, I won't say too long ago, long enough for me to remember and long enough for me not to fucking forget. When I came back, you know, to rebuild from what I went through on my Downward Spiral. Uh, Polly called me and said, my mom wants to talk to you, you know, and I run down to the office, up in the office upstairs with Tommy and all the guys, you know, you love it up there. And she gets me in the office and she goes, "Uh, I saw you in the club, you're kicking ass again after everything that happened you know i just want to tell you you know and i I didn't have anything to do with this one i'm really glad it happened to you early and you didn't have to go through some of what the other guys went through it happened early early in what i think is
0: early in your career all right your proudest moment in show business
1: My proudest moment in this business was when I realized that I'm Barbara Davidson's youngest son, Tommy. And when I realized that, everything came into balance. Because, you know, this can be confusing. Am I an actor? Am I am I the top top actor at box office? Am I going to be a Grammy dude? You know, you see people doing it. Jamie's doing Grammys and this, that, and the other thing. You know, Tom Cruise got a business with his manager, unbelievable. Joel Silver, I I I, I name old names because I'm old. You know, there's all this stuff going. Jim's got his stuff. I'm seeing Ben Stiller. You know, and all this stuff is going on. All of the stuff we can't control. You know, when your comet comes, you ride the damn thing. You know And I think my greatest accomplishment In this business Was the day I realized That I'm just Tommy Barbara Davidson's youngest son You know And it took me a minute to get to that Because when she passed away When she passed away I realized That I'm her greatest accomplishment She did it on purpose When she pulled me out of that pile, I remember her telling me that she took me home to the hotel where her and her husband were staying, and she was always bringing animals home, you know, hurt horses and stuff when she was growing up. And he said, no way, there's no way, don't even think about it, you know? And I, and I, I honestly believe that she said, I'm gonna help this black man Go out into the world and give a higher understanding to color and show the world that it actually, unequivocally, specifically, and undeniably, love is in the center of every single color. There is. And she set me on that path. But the biggest lesson she taught me that makes this true is me and my sister. My sister looks like Cindy Brady. When we were late to school in high school, what they do is you get detention. Right? So sometimes we miss the bus. We had to take another bus. But we were late. So we'd have to go to the, you know, the office that you guys are in trouble. So they'd send my sister to class. And they send me to this, the other guy, the, the, the guy that issued detention. And my mother caught wind of this. And my mother called the school and said, what the hell is going on? She said, I want a meeting with the school. And she came down to the school and had a meeting with the principal and all the you know, and she said, "I don't understand this system that you guys have of detention. I think they should get detention if they're late. You know, these two boneheads are always late. I try to get them to act right, but they won't. You know, but I don't understand why you're sending his sister." to her class, and you're sending him to detention. And they were like, oh, we didn't know that that was his sister, and we didn't know that, and you didn't, you know, we didn't know that, Mrs. Davis, and that, that was, and she said, it doesn't it doesn't matter. I wanted to tell you that to let you know that the only difference between this brother and sister is, 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 is one of them is white and one of them is black, and the black one goes to detention, and the white one goes to class. You know, they said, we'll make sure that doesn't happen again. We'll you know, we'll, we'll really, you know, pull that together for you. that, this any other thing? She was like, okay. And she took me home out of school for the day. She said, I want you to come home with me. And I was like, oh, man, you know, because she stayed on my case. And she said, I want to tell you something. She said, as messed up as that is, that your sister gets to go to class. She told me this and it pissed me off. And I didn't understand it for years because I took it kind of personal. She said, your sister gets to go to class because your sister is white. You can't be late because you're black. You have to develop some kind of strategy to never be late. And never give a person a reason to punish you for that. You can't be late, but your sister can. And I want you to accept that. I can't change the
0: school system, but I can try to help change you. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It's centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years. who's the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to com to the merch page, and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world, many of which you'll hear on the next three weeks of podcasts. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, Pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I've partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind, workshop, or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins the best in the business He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session today at BarryKBB.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard. And because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this, and I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to BarryKBB.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drive that Fancy
1: car All the people Love you Cause you're going For Life is for the dreamer They have All to gain It's never quite Over so it all feels
0: Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.